0: Welcome everyone to Black Coffee and Theology. Welcome back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the show. I hope that you all are well, as well as you can be in these times. I Listen, I am so happy to bring to you this conversation that I had with Casey Overton. And listen, Casey is a whole blessing out here. She is uh, an interfaith coordinator. She is a writer and editor, and she is a theologian. (sighs) She is practical out here. She... (laughs) She is out in these streets. And so on this particular episode, we talk about liberation. We talk about who is God to us in the midst of liberation. And I am so eager for you to just sit with the topics that we bring up. I wish that you could have been privy to the conversations that we had offline, uh, because whenever we start to talk, we have some of the most constructive theological conversations that are so practical and weighty. Um, But I want you to sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation.
1: definition of community and maybe she may have posed it as a definition of love but to me it's sort of one of the same um, the definition of community that I've resonated most with I heard it first from the People's Oracle I believe her name is Dana Nickel if I'm not mistaken and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong um, but it's those with whom you share the burden of survival and which is like I, yeah, it's just it's so profound because like, and it's I mean and biblical at that <laughs> to share the burden of survival like that's that's something that has gotten so lost in our individualized culture and in a capitalistic culture where everyone competes
0: hey everybody, welcome back to the pod. Hey, <laughs> I am joined by the brilliant, the wonderful, (laughs) don't don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, stay right there, Casey Overton. Hey. 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 No, so I I am so excited that you are joining us today because, I mean, yes, you're a writer, yes, you're an editor, yes, you've got all these things, but I, I so I usually start out by saying a bit about how I know you and how I experience you. And then I have um, every guest say something about themselves, but uh, yes, I met you over Twitter in the Twitter street, street,
1: in those Twitter streets,
0: but that's how I feel like that's how I know most people these days. Um, But the thing, The thing, um, the thing I like about you is how I experience you as is straight fire. And that is like funny to the people who it needs to be funny. That's you giving heat to the people who need that heat. Um, That's when you step into a thread and it's not making sense. It's not sounding right. (laughs) you go clear the place <laughs> you're like does not make it sense <laughs> you're like what's going on in here
1: that <laughs> um, ferocious but maybe
0: no and I don't even what's what's great about that is I don't I don't experience this as being ferocious I, what I like about it is the clarity and the succinctness and I never experience it as being too harsh and I love. Like that multifaceted dimension of who, who I experience you to be, and I remember the first time I saw you appear in a thread. I was like, "Wait, who? Did, Harpo? Who is? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who is?" Because it's like, because even when you're, br- because here's the thing, clarity is never harsh to me, and You can say something in only a few lines that it's like, okay, well then that's it. And I love, I love that. And I I think you bring this dimension of truth teller when you step into a situation that I think if someone's committed to not telling the truth, that probably isn't comfortable. That probably is ferocious. (laughs) Um, Mm. But what I love is that in dialogue with you, you're not a person who can't bend and flex and you can't, like, there's all this beautiful, like, symmetry with you and you see all these different colors. Um, So it's almost like an artist is how I I think of you now as I've gotten to know you. Like, talking to you Mm -hmm. is like this artistic dimension in conversation. So yeah, I enjoy experiencing you in that way, yeah.
1: Thanks, that's, that's like really cool. I appreciate that. And that's like, yeah, I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while. Like the art, <laughs> the art of it all. I, I never would have thought of it that way. So that's interesting and I appreciate it a lot.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, that's rare. I think so often especially once people have any kind of theological training um, they have learned how <laughs> they have learned how to state their opinions and not move um, but it's rare when someone can can definitely have concrete thoughts but be so flexible and be able to move with someone and hey, dip in and out of it. We, you know, be able to, hey, we don't have to keep this (laughs) theological. We don't have to keep this in the Bible. We can just as easily cross over (laughs) right on out of it. And it's like, that's such a rare gift. And that's such a rare viewpoint and perspective that you bring to things. So thank you for that, truly.
1: Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being a, a space that can, a person who can create space for people to be people and not just theologians and not just intellectuals and not just scholars and like you create that space and your gentleness helps people feel open to you know be like multifaceted in those ways. So thank you. Yeah,
0: no problem. Um so how would the first question I always ask people is
1: mm-hmm.
0: how What's important to you and how you show up in the world and who you are?
1: yeah, wow, hmm. I mean black people black people right. are important to me um and i mean i'm I'm still like working on trying to figure out how best to live up to that, um because yeah i I would love for my work to be in service um to Black people, not just as an affinity project, but as um, kind of as a mode or as a like a manifesto of sorts of how liberation has happened. Um with from from the bottom up. Um, so black people are important to me. And I haven't, I have yet to figure out how to reconcile <laughs> the work of investing in Black people. Without one being completely exploited, or two um, not eating. And so I'm in the process, I'm in the liminal space of trying to reconcile um, what it is to spend my life investing in Black people in a colonial, anti Black context, excuse me.
0: You are speaking things straight off the bat. Okay. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> okay, you just yeah. don't segue yourself. Okay. No, I was. <laughs>
1: that's
0: me. Um, I listen. I resonate with that. I the reason why I wanted to have you on is many reasons, but uh, I. I wanted to to bring to the table liberation. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so all all season long, in the second season, I have wanted to take time to think about deconstruction from the lens of Black people. Mm. And often the conversation around deconstruction has centered white siblings and their feelings and their concern and their concerns and my goodness and, and those things that are relevant to them and in those spaces are needed and so deconstruction often becomes this affinity space and this affinity group for white people yep while being touted as this thing that you know we all experience this right and often <laughs> black people are like that's not what we talk like <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: um we got other stuff to talk about <laughs> you know like um and so uh, I have really wanted to take uh this whole season to really think about mostly you know there are a couple of other guests who are not people of color but I've wanted to mostly just sit with those elements those themes that resonate with us in the room mm-hmm. right and so liberation uh I was like okay I gotta have us because <laughs> uh, you are and I don't even know how you think of yourself uh but when I think of a liberation liberation theologian somebody or at least who embodies the spirit of a liber liberatory person is you um like, oh. Um, And so, so he, so here we are. Uh, So putting that on the table, thinking about liberation, I guess the first question that I would ask is, when thinking about liberation, what are some of your initial thoughts around the term? Um, Often, it's this ambiguous thing that is kind of like, cute um and people use it in all these ways like when you think of the term what are some some things that you think of right away
1: the term liberation um, mm. i think like one of the first things i think of is that like we have to that we have to be willing to take that work up ourselves um and I think there's a lot of push, push, push pressure and a lot of like impulse and a lot of coercion and like conditioning that makes people believe that they have to be asked or that they have to ask to be emancipated. Um And I think a lot of the a lot of the like political theory and approaches right now are very much efforts where black people or oppressed people at large are asking for their freedom or are are looking to someone else to grant them their freedom. And this was like probably one of the most powerful things that I learned in school, studying liberation theologians and like just justice in general, (laughs) is that if you ask, somebody permission for your quote unquote liberation. (laughs) Baby girl, you didn't get liberated. (laughs) Um, If somebody has the power to grant it to you, if it hinges on someone's permission, then it isn't liberation anymore. You might, you might feel, it might be better. It might, the conditions might be be more favorable. um, But you're not free yet until you've you've taken that power away from them. To decide whether or not you get to be free, and that's yeah, like that's probably like one of my biggest pet peeves. And like, it's, whenever somebody brings up any approach or any political endeavor, enterprise, it's just like, why are y'all asking these people if we can be free? Like,
0: listen, <laughs>
1: why are you asking these people if we can be human? Why are you telling these people that 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 w- that we matter? That's in like, let me try not listen, to be shady. Why are y'all Why are we waiting to convince them that we matter? What? Listen, uh,
0: you're already saying things. I, I'm going to jump in. And they, feel free to talk over me too um because mm-hmm. you do, do it all right listen you Same have, full, you, have you have full <laughs> you all about to hear our real conversation I listen sure. um this is how we talk apparently um mm-hmm. I you already got spirit moving right now uh, I wish you could see my leg looks like thumper right now <laughs> <I'm> like, um, <laughs> I yeah exactly I because it's this, this freedom piece um, and this asking for freedom is, I, so I'm thinking of two things. One, this mm-hmm. is so pertinent because liberation is, right? Obviously, I, I brought this to the table because Black bodies we've seen over the past couple of years in a pronounced way have been put before us in social media Mm -hmm. um in broken images and sad images Mm -hmm. um police have been brutalizing us in ways that have been you know pushed on us in the media right and churches um being co-opted and being harmed uh we've seen gymnasts black gymnasts say hey i'm tired you know black athletes say hey i need a break Um, i mean you know so all of these things has caused a lot of people to say what does liberation look like for the black body Mm -hmm. Um, uh, as we have seen black people get gunned down and hunted it begs of us to ask, what does liberation and rest look like for us in this time, in this evil age, right? And then, so you're, you're talking about us asking um, people for liberation. It sounds absurd, but that's essentially what I've seen a lot of times is people um, saying like, okay, we're cool with the justice stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. because y'all do it nicer, like mm. i'm feeling triggered by oh like, that you know and so there's this call for niceness is mm-hmm. the is the word that i wrote down as you were talking um and there's the call for like if we're going to talk about I, I also wrote down this this word anti racism um mm. and so if if we're going to talk about liberation cuz liberation sounds hard um I don't like it. It it feels rough to me. So could we use anti-racism instead? Mm -hmm. Um, And um, because it it just, you know, as a, it's an A sound Um, Mm and, um, and knit within that is, can you give us time to catch up and can you do it with niceness? And the thing that I was thinking is niceness being this uh, prerequisite to liberation. And somehow, especially among Christian circles, there being this understand, understanding that niceness is this prerequisite to the oppressed mm-hmm. getting free.
1: <clears throat> that's, yeah, that's, that's real. And we see, the, yeah, we see that play out all the time. And like, I think, I think some of the I'm gonna try not to rehash a lot of the conversations that have already happened around this because I think people are beginning to figure out why, why we don't owe anybody nice. Um, but what I can I, I, can I, think I say? Is,
0: I don't think we are. You know, I'm seeing yeah. like even with the invasion Who? of 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 we we're seeing an invasion happen before yeah. our very eyes, and people are uplifting the fact. That people are being nice to the invaders, and I'm thinking,
1: Ooh.
0: y'all, is this?
1: That's on, that's that's concerning. That's my, so, my my nice way I'll put it. Okay, yeah, you said so. I don't I don't
0: know that we're getting. It. So you're trying to be gracious, yeah. but I don't know that I don't know that we're getting that niceness
1: yeah.
0: isn't required.
1: Because, like, do, I mean, that's, do people matter to y'all or not? Like, so are we saying that mean people don't, don't deserve liberation? Is that what we're going to say? Do we, is that what we want? Like, if, if that's the case, just say that. No, we don't, no, I don't want to liberate mean people. Um. Okay, cool. So what should we do with mean people is my next question. <laughs> well, <laughs> what well, they mean, so. You know, they have to be nice and then they can be liberated. So what do you, what do you, are they in community with us too? Should we maybe constrain their movements and tell them they can't be in community with us? And I guess we'll need bars to keep them from associating with us, right? That they can't break through. And I guess some of them will need shackles so that they can't, so that we can restrict their movements. And I guess we should just make giant cinder block buildings for them to go in because they're all meat. Like, and who decides what's to mean? Wow who who chooses that you say it's mean what if to me it's honest or what if to me it's just very clear is it too loud is that it like what's like I just like I want to and part of me wishes I could engage more of these conversations to really interrogate that sentiment but it's also exhausting and it's like dehumanizing to an extent because like, I I did, to even have the conversation feels insulting, in a lot of ways. Not even just to me personally because I I'm generally not someone who likes to use like, you know I for the most part I don't speak loudly and I you know fall into a lot of the bounds of respectability probably way more than I should. Um, but yeah, like how is that not a respectability politic?
0: I love what. It- so you say you i'm sitting with your question of who decides who decides what's nice and mean and what i'm gathering from part of the ethic that you have around liberation i mean you have like a castle of an ethic right? like around liberation um like it's like there's rooms in that thing but like <laughs> it is like part of it in order to get it in order for us to get there in liberation is we do have to go and interrogate the undercurrents of of who is deciding what and why right and i want to tease that out for those listening like when we say we want to be free great (laughs) like let's go you know and and i think that you know part of you know I brought out the anti-racism movement, but part of that is a liberatory movement, right? Like, you know, in under the auspices of we want to remove racism from our society, right? Great. Mm -hmm. Who is deciding, who is creating the criteria for this movement? Like, who is deciding what's nice? Who is Mm -hmm. deciding what's a microaggression or what's not? because somebody is and so what I'm hearing in what is organic for you is you you know that someone is deciding that um because when those things are happening and when someone is you know in the anti-racism camp and like ooh,
1: Mm -hmm. you know that
0: that was a little harsh who told you that
1: who told you that (laughs) um
0: and that's why we find now, you know, because there was, there was that whole movement, you know, people were blacking out their Instagrams and people were going hard on it. Um,
1: it brought me back to the creation story just now. Like, who, who told you you were naked?
0: Exactly, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, I don't know if there's an actual link there, but that's just what I thought of when you exactly. said that. But yeah, like, I think at any time we're falling back to that those those things that just seem obvious or like of course you know what nice and mean is like of course like it's the assumption that that's just an agreed upon criteria like that there's a rubric like who made the rubric who who chose like who made the grading system who made you the person who assigns the grade (laughs) and like in that in that it's it, it is so frustrating because like since when did you like who, who are who are you to even say that xyz is mean or just be, because it doesn't make you feel good like according to what criteria and mm-hmm. i find a lot of the times that the criteria we're using is colonial <laughs> and anti-black and mm-hmm. and however many ways yes. um and i'm not like this isn't me advocating for everybody walking around just being nasty to each other and tearing each other down but if somebody's rhetoric, that's going to try to build people up, especially a people who need to be built up and historically never have um, and to demand, to demand a level of politeness out of it, which politeness in itself is kind of colonial. And we can, I mean, maybe we can unpack that. I might not even have the range for that one, but um, yeah, for somebody to to demand politeness as a, as a part of the criteria, it's just, it's disturbing on a lot of levels. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I think for me demanding politeness out of someone who's oppressed is wild because um, there's something very odd and very sick about um, glorifying someone who is, um, being harassed, being abused, Mm -hmm. and they are choosing to take it in a polite way
1: Mm -hmm. while they
0: are, you know, multitasking and asking for their deliverance. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, you know, as bystanders our our takeaway is, and they did it in a nice way, you know, What's not clicking, you know, like, like.
1: And the assumption is that that works, like.
0: Yeah, like the yeah the assumption that were and The assumption that it's the it was the politeness. Yeah. In a liberation model, why don't we say they shouldn't have had to ask?
1: Right. Right, and like, yeah, that's that's good and like do I want to go here because I don't want to get myself in trouble (laughs) but like I feel I see a lot of um correlation between this and like the pacifism conversation Mm -hmm. so I see people engaging a lot whether you know whether violence is valid or in in movement space or whether whether it's like you know can 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 it be done can liberation happen without violence our culture makes us own our actions as like as or even yeah our culture is kind of assign what it considers misdeeds to like our being in a way that's weird like yeah you messed up and now you have to pay for that mistake with your life and that's just how it should be you you didn't apply to enough jobs fine you don't eat that's on you and you pay you pay with your life um and that's something like I think that's something that religion serves to to fix if it's done properly, which lately it's not. <laughs> but like religion helps to in ritual and all of that helps to sort of correct that that system of of thinking of where you have to pay for that one, that your that your actions are your own because no one's actions happen in a vacuum and no person exists in a vacuum beyond the influence of all of these forces that are brainwashing us to believe that um, that we have to like our lives, are our, our, our love is conditional upon how we perform. But yeah, the notion that our performance, like our value being tied to our performance and behavior is, is something that's like a really, really absurd and perverted kind of paradigm to exist under, and I, I think like a lot of the challenge is breaking that
0: yeah
1: i I, I would argue
0: um, yeah, you said uh, that that definition you gave was so powerful that thing hit me, um, and as someone who is not completely able bodied that really mm-hmm. hit me um just in a real way because as I get older that becomes more and more prevalent in my life and so right thinking about like community for me is about really people who I can really rely on for that that survival aspect and I think um You know, like that really deconstructs like the ableism that is knit within our society and that is mm-hmm. knit within each person's framework to think like, nah, I got it. But you see that unravel as someone truly reaches the last days of their life and as they realize that I can't do this, mm-hmm. right? You know, and as what it, as when people go through a disabling event or yes. and suddenly they realize they don't have community right? Like yep. they don't have the assurance that they thought they did, right? And mm-hmm. all of a sudden now it's over. And, and so that you giving that definition uh, really speaks into that. And I think rallying around that then makes the, that part of liberation then makes sense. Because for me, I kind of see that as a core of liberation because one, when survival becomes the nucleus of Mm -hmm. who we are as a people and those that have banded together, I want this group of people to survive and thrive. Mm -hmm. Your survival is my survival. I see in you those things that I want to be preserved Mm -hmm. Well then, the niceness we talked about, all those things, those go away because you're like, I want you to survive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like your survival, your flourishing matters to me. Things that hinder that, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm about that life, right? Like I like um, right it, 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 niceness, respectability, politics go out the window, like all those things, mm-hmm. and yeah, because we are committed to making this pod survive right like we are um and so it's such a beautiful like resonant thing and that breaks down that rugged individualism it breaks Mm -hmm. down all those things that capitalism tells us who we are Mm -hmm. and what things are important about our being and Mm -hmm. i love what you said about like those things that are like our society tells us about like like our almost moral failing failings you know and like um
1: and it's really just an inability to produce. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. I want nuance that. Like, yes, 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 yes. It's not even just moral failings, but at, at whatever point you are unable to produce whatever capitalism wants from you, that's, mm. that's considered immoral. Your morality is now tied to what you can and can't produce mm. um, for the empire. Like yeah like your moral standing and and even just the valuation of your entire being is based on production so,
0: i i and and what's funny in that is like and funny not funny at all is yeah. a lot of people for the life of them cannot think of another way past that and so right. like the the piece that i want to end with is thinking of like a society, like where do you see a liberated society past what we're talking about? And mm-hmm. so for me, what I, I was thinking is like, what's sad to me is all of the hypotheticals that people will post, like, could you, you know, live on an island without the internet for $2 million? Yeah. That is like, that is... yeah a question that arises out of the insecurities that our society has placed on our inability or ability to produce. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
0: let me tell you something, party people, that's not a question for me, (laughs) but that shows the inability, like, do you see how that that is a vice on our very imagination oh yeah not being able to creatively think beyond what has been given to us that brainwashing is so deep. could you in a lot of times the question is like could you live on an island for a month um in a cabin with all you know all expenses paid but you just don't have an mm-hmm. internet we are so deep in this capitalism thing that that is that sounds like hell to y'all
1: yeah yeah I mean
0: or in another one to your point is people when they hear about giving away college to the next generation
1: oh my god yeah
0: people feel upset I had to work for it and earn it why would we give it Mm -hmm. and for me in the spirit of liberation because I would want them to be free like, I would want mm-hmm. them to not know bondage and debt. And it's mm-hmm. like this inability to think beyond what's been given to us. So, yeah, into that vein, like, what would you, what do you see in a society of your own thinking and your own imaginings, you know, or and thoughts on what I just said or of your own?
1: Yeah, because like, I, it's probably a both and somehow, because yeah. I think. One of the first things as you were speaking that I was I was thinking of is just that the people first being released of that fear, like the fear of I think as for the college tuition example. Well, I had to work hard for this. I I I went through XYZ. So, you know, I and almost like wishing the same suffering on other people. But I think underneath that, and this is sort of just conjecture on my part, but I think underneath a lot of that is like this fear that um, another generation will get ahead of a previous generation, have an advantage, which with they'll they'll use to usurp power over the older generation that will then sort of like be beholden to whatever whims of this generation that had this huge advantage. Um, and so like, I, 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 would, I would potentially argue that there's a, there's a reasonable like fear of their security underneath all of that. Like when y'all come up, y'all get this huge advantage. Y'all are gonna come up, take our jobs and now we can't eat. Cause y'all, cause all of y'all could fly through college. And now, and now there's too many people trying to get the same pie. And like that notion of scarcity, that notion of, well, everybody can't eat, so I'ma eat. Like I can't, I can't worry about y'all because I gotta eat like that. That if we can get away from that. And I just um actually just had to write about the situation. Is it Luke 13? Yeah, I think it's the end of Luke 13 where Jesus is lamenting that the Pharisees come and tell Jesus that Herod is like on his behind and I'm trying to kill him. And, and so they're like, Jesus, yeah, yo, you got to bounce. Like, you got to get up out of here. He's looking for you. And Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm cool. Like, I'm about to, I got stuff to finish. So like, I'm about to stay here. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> and then he starts lamenting about Jerusalem and that. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Have yeah. Jesus could have like taken that, that note and been like, if I'm dead, I can't help nobody else. So let me, let me go ahead, and bounce up out of here, hide a little bit, and then we'll come back to it. We'll see what we can do. But nah, Jesus is just like that that notion of personal safety without the safety of the community and the people that, that he's healing and whose who's demons are being exercised and who's, who he's giving life back to without their safety, Jesus don't even care. Jesus don't even care about if I'm alive or not, whatever. Like, I think we have to be unbrainwashed. And that's why I want, I would love for people This is where I would love some gentleness and where I think gentleness has a place
0: because it's not nobody's
1: fault that they've been brainwashed. You can't just unbrainwash yourself. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of times we're asking that of people. And even in in my rhetoric, I try to be gentle towards people because as frustrating as it is that someone hasn't quite, that it hasn't clicked yet, that's because people are conditioned. Like our body is so deeply ingrained into embedded in, in our DNA. Everything we do is in service of production. And so to want someone to change their mind um, without changing some material conditions is is kind of a barbaric ask. <laughs> like, But trying to go back on track, yeah, I would love to see a world where people don't have to fear scarcity, but I think and I think it is possible for people to like kind of upend that, that fear, that, that fear that resides so like deep in us. Hmm. Um, but I don't think it's fair to just ask people of that when the scarcity, the, the notion of scarcity is real to the extent that not, nah, they really will let you not eat and, and die out here. Like that's, that's a real danger. Yuff. Um, Yuff. and I don't want like, I don't wanna pretend that people have to ignore that or pretend that that very real danger doesn't exist. Um, the danger of being exploited, the danger of being dominated, the danger of being taken advantage of is also real. Um, so, and that's that becomes a question like, is it material first or is it ideas first? Do people have to believe that abundance is for them and available to them first? Or do we have to snatch power back from the booty holes who are hoarding everything and create a, a, a you know, realm, a, a material situation of abundance for people be, to be able to unpack the fear and like, mm. and, and it, learn to exist without it when they don't need that fear anymore, mm. when the danger isn't there anymore. And I think people like a lot of people want folks to do the the ideas thing they want it they think it's an intellectual process well I figured out that that we have access to abundance and a lot of these people are people who ain't even felt the insecurity who ain't even who are more secure and who ain't missed meals and who haven't skipped rent and who haven't seen an eviction notice a lot of the people making these claims are people who's, who've had it pretty pretty comfortable and I'm saying this is a person in the United States in the imperial core all of us have it good to an extent because there's a lot of asterisks i'll put on that but i'm not going to get into that i just (laughs) i want to see a world where the power is snatched back and people can begin to heal because the scarcity will be no longer and the danger of dying for not producing enough won't exist anymore and so people can unlearn the habits that they learned in order to try to exist in a world where you have to compete for your basic needs and resources. Mm. And that's a process. It's not gonna happen in a year, but Amen. I'll stop there for, for our rant all night. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm
0: gonna stop it right there. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like rate and review black coffee and theology pod, as well as three black men.